0: A question asked courageously, answered honestly, and lived authentically can change your whole life. For me, that question was, how can I use what I have, what I love, and what I know to bless the lives of others? The School for Good Living and this podcast are one answer to that question. Hi, I'm Brian Miller. I know that the world can work for everyone, but that it won't until it works for you. I've created this to help you make the difference you were born to make. It's a series of conversations with thought leaders who are moving humanity forward. And in each episode, I explore their lives and the work they do. I also ask them to break down how they've gotten their books written, published, and read. This podcast is all about exploring the magic and mystery, and sometimes the misery, of the creative process. So if you have a mission, a message, and a motivation to share it, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the School for Good Living. Hello, my friends. Today, my guest is James Wallman. James is author of Stuffocation Why We've Had Enough of Stuff and Need Experience More Than Ever, which he published in 2013. And in this conversation, we explore ideas in his new book, Time and How to Spend It The Seven Rules for Richer, Happier Days, which he published this year in 2019. I think this is a very timely book because, as James asserts, we have more free time than ever, and he quantifies that. There's some scientific research, quite a lot of it in this book, actually. But he shows how even though we have more free time than ever before, we feel greater time scarcity than ever before. And he talks about why that is and how important it is to use our time, especially our free time, well, to get the most out of life without feeling overwhelmed. James is a futurist, a journalist, an author, a keynote speaker, and an activist. He's a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and a member of the Cloud Appreciation Society. I thought that was crap, but that's real. It's a real thing, the Cloud Appreciation Society. James lives in England. He has a master's in journalism from the University of Arts, of the arts in London, and a master's in classics from the University of Oxford. That sounds pretty cool. He has written for more than 50 publications worldwide from the New York Times, New York Magazine to the Times of London, the Telegraph, the Guardian, and he comments on trends that are happening now and what are predicted and the impact they're going to have for publications like GQ, The Financial Times, clients in the corporate world as well, like Absolute, BMW, Burberry, Nike, and on and on and on. Really, really enjoyed reading this book, Time and How to Spend It. I think if you do too, you will enjoy it as well. It's very, very thought provoking. We talk about our tendency to escape into, retreat into, get distracted by our smartphones and all the technology that's available to us. And As I already told you, there's a lot of science and research in this book. James shares one remarkable fact, which is how many of us even check our smartphones while we're in an intimate act in the bedroom. That actually really surprised me. Almost nothing surprises me anymore, so maybe it shouldn't. I hope you enjoy this conversation with James and that you learn something to make you a better person, to enjoy your life, to make a contribution, Enjoy this conversation with James Wallman. James, welcome to the School for Good Living. Brian, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to have been asked on to uh, your podcast, School for Good Living. Yeah, it's a privilege to have you here. So, James, tell me, please, what's life about? Huh.
1: Well, I've just come from seeing my kids in, in the musical Oliver, so it was food, glorious food, and you've got to pick a pocket or two and um pa, pa um pa, pa that's out. Do you know the song? I am not familiar. Oh wow, it's an amazing movie. Maybe it was a British movie with a guy Oliver Reed. Do you remember Oliver Reed? No. Oh, what a fantastic opportunity for you. Uh, he was the guy in Gladiator, uh, who played the kind of um, the guy in North Africa. Okay. Uh, I know this is really spinning in a direction you were not expecting now. Um, well, I know Gladiator.
0: You got me there. I know yeah, that
1: one. Just, um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, life is life, – what's life about? Um, you know, seeing my children in that play was um, – well, I mean, it was a bit boring because it's school play, isn't it? It's kind of dull. But it was also seeing my children. That was awesome fun. And Actually, my dad came over. and We had lunch in my garden. Uh, first of all, um, and then we walked over and we saw the kids in the, in the play, and that was really fun. And, and you know, and then I did some work today that was really enjoyable for a design firm called IDEO. Uh, you know, global, but you know, based originally out of uh, Palo Alto, I think. Um, and I've had a really good day. and Now I'm talking to you, so uh, life is a combination of um, you know family and friends and connections and doing things that are hard because. I'm probably a bit dumb and, 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 you know, but doing things that are hard and enjoyable and meaningful and being outside and um, yeah, you looking at the trees. Yeah. A, a
0: bunch, a bunch of, you know, life is short, but it's kind of beautiful, isn't it? It's fun. Well, then that's one of the, I love that you use this to open one of the chapters in your, in your book about life is long. If we know how to use it, yeah. it Seneca. Uh, yeah. Right. And, and so speaking of your book, this book, time and how to spend it. Um, I love this book. I read this book uh, most of it while sitting in a tent in the desert in New Mexico, Whoa. and it was glorious. And I read in there that you came to Utah, where I'm based, to ride horses and have an experience with a cowboy, which I want to ask. But before we get to that, I love your statement that knowing how to spend time is arguably the most important skill in life, right? So I might have just stolen your thunder in response to the question, why did you write this book? But that's where I want to go for a moment. Why did you, who did you write this book for and what did you want it to do for them? You didn't steal my thunder, but I love the idea of you reading my book in a tent in New Mexico.
1: Thank you. Um, That's a gift in itself. Um, And that idea that knowing how to spend time is the most important thing there is, is simply because, you know, you think about all the resources that we have, you know, the money, the real estate, the, um, you know, the connections that we have. You know, you think about, um, you know, our connection being through Chris, through this entrepreneur school that I I went to at Cambridge. You know, you think about when you're when you're pulling together a business or you're trying to achieve a project, you you pull together your resources and those are all really important to you. But you can always go out and get more of those resources, whatever those resources are, your connections, your money, whatever you get more of that stuff, right? That, That comes, it goes, whatever you can get more. And you can eat your time out a bit more. You know, if you run more, that's why we all go jogging. You know, if you get you know high, you know high impacts and get your heart pumping, and you you can make life last a bit longer. But it is finite. There is a there's a lovely idea of the time bank. Um, that every day you can go to the bank and you get your you know your twenty four hours. Uh, and and but at the end of that day, it's gone. It's not. You, you can't like you can get an overdraft with the bank. You don't get an overdraft with your time in life. There will be one day where you will go to the time bank and there won't be any more time left for you. And so knowing how to use that time um, strikes me as just, yeah, so it's really important. So I, I wrote the book. It came from another book I'd written called the Suffocation was the um, t- two things. It was one, it was... a. Uh, I'm a trend forecaster. It comes from a belief that we're moving from materialism to experientialism. So instead of looking for happiness, identity, and status, and meaning in material goods, which was the dominant value system of the 20th century, um, or the later 20th century, we're moving to a time of experientialism, expecting to find happiness, identity, and status, and experiences. And um, people, but it was, it was not just that, it was also, um, Because when I was researching the book, I I came across the the data that showed that if you want to be happy, you should spend less on stuff and more on experiences. Now, everybody knows this nowadays, Brian. You know, this this is common currency. But when I was first working on this and the book first came out, nobody knew this stuff. And I... I'd like to think I've done my bit in helping spread that, that message. I mean, it's not just me. Other people have done it too, but I've helped, helped spread that message. But once you know that instead of spending, and it's more about money, spending money on stuff, and you should spend money on experiences, the natural next question is, okay, so what kind of experiences <laughs> did I spend it on, right? And the thing is, once you move to spending on experiences, you're not just spending money, you're spending time. Because if anyone's ever given you... You know, when you get an experience gift from somebody for Christmas or birthday, and it's just not something you want to do, that's awful, right? If you get a material gift, someone gives you, I don't know, a scarf or, um, you know, a tennis racket or something that's a material gift that you don't really want, they've wasted their money. But if somebody gives you an experience gift and you do it, you've wasted your time. Yeah. And, and they've time. wasted their money. Yeah, 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 they wasted their money. Too. Well, or maybe not, because yeah. they're wasting your time. So maybe that's pleasurable for them, because they like, maybe they're kind of people. I don't know. Maybe they're good yeah. people. I don't know. Yeah. So. Just like, we, you know, we we all know nowadays that there are some foods that are good for us. You know, there's kale, there's broccoli, there's um, blueberries, you know, there's a- acai, acai, I don't know how you
0: say it, but you know, there's acai yeah. berries. But, you yeah. know, you know, chocolate, we know, you know, the good chocolate, well-made chocolate is good for us. You can say that however you want it because you're British. I'll just assume you actually know how to say it and I'm the one who's wrong. <laughs> okay. Acai berries. <laughs> How's that? But, but yeah, there's definitely these superfoods, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. But there's also just like basically good foods, you know, vegetables. You know, look at Michael Pollan's right, right? You know, eat more yeah. plants. It's simple, right? Eat, eat. There are certain foods that are good for us. There's also, we all know, there are foods that are not good for us. So you know, a super size, You know, think about the movie Super Size Me. You know, yeah. the great big soda with um, way too much sugar in, it, or just eating too much. Sugar. We know that's that's not good for us, because, right? And it's the same with experiences. Some experiences are essentially high processed corn syrup rich just stuff that yeah sure you'll carry on surviving but you'll end up with bad skin you'll end up with more stress maybe even it'll lower your libido right you know some
0: foods are bad for you some experiences are bad but some are really good for us yeah the the mcgrets that was what i took away from supersize me both the McSweats and the mcgrets the mcgrets <laughs> morgan spurlock when he when he conducted that experiment so yes this totally resonates with me just like food you can oh why did i put that in my body why did i do that to myself that experiences have a similar sort of empty calorie quality some
1: yeah right? no, that's really interesting um because you've hit on something that's really one of the one of the magical things about experiences and why they're the material goods that are making us happy is even experiences that go wrong it's hard to what we tend to regret what we haven't done rather than what we have done that said yeah. you spend three hours on Facebook, you come home drunk or you come home late at night and you check your email and you check your Facebook and you check your Twitter and you check your Instagram and you find yourself an hour and a half later thinking, you know that, maybe you don't get it, but maybe it's just me. But I think there are a lot of other people that do that. that You end up with that kind of like sunken feeling because you haven't had the kind of likes that you wanted, which is, you know, there's a, you know, there's a chemical thing that, that makes us kind of need it. This stuff is designed to kind of hook us. Um, but, to answer your question, because sorry I round about the book is for anyone that thinks you know what how should I spend my time anyone who's who's you know you said to me before this is for conscious achievers right and and if you're if you if you want to get a bit more out of your time, if you want to get three percent more happiness out of your weekends or your holidays or your Thursday evening or your Tuesday morning or life in general yeah. Then knowing that right, no, just as knowing the right kind of foods to eat will make you healthier and enable you to get on and really live a good life, knowing the right kind of experiences to spend your time on will mean that when you come to you know the time that your time bank has gone and you go to cash it in and it says, "Sorry, your time has come, you can at least sit there and think, "Wow, it was a ride you know that yeah. was worth it. I did yeah. something that was okay, and you can feel that way on a you know, on a Sunday evening before you, you know, start work again, or you can feel that at the end of a vacation, or let's say, you know, you take a sabbatical or whatever you can, you know, at the beginning, you get the most out of your time, you you know, that during it, you're not going to get FOMO, you know, this fear of missing out thing, because you're, you know, that of course, there are other things, you know, of course, you've got a friend who's currently skiing in Argentina, of course, you've got a friend who's, you know, climbing in Chamonix, of course you've got a friend who's having lunch with some A-lister in Cannes
0: or, you know. And their stuff. teeth are all perfect. It's like, and their kids are all, they're all clean. It's like, <laughs> well, their house weird. is so organized. Because <laughs> <organized.
1: laughs> like you're American. But the thing is, I've got Brit- <laughs> British friends. And, you know, obviously Brits that live in England as opposed to Brits who live in the U.S. And, you know, they have bad teeth, so they, they make me feel good. <laughs> they're Okay. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I definitely had that experience of, you know, spending time online or on a video game or, or, you know, whatever. And then afterwards, it's like, you know, our family owns movie theaters here in Utah. And there was a time when I worked at the theater and I could see every film at no cost. And prior to that, you know, if I saw a film I didn't like, sometimes I'd want my money back. But when I could see them free and I didn't pay, I just wanted my time back. So that totally resonates. Totally. Mm-hmm. Resonate. And I suspect everybody listening has had that experience. And I love this point you make in your book that I think is actually really profound if we stop to appreciate it, that free time. I mean, research shows this and our experience, I think, validates this is that free time is actually harder to enjoy than work. Yeah. I
1: mean, that's that's it's funny saying it and if i repeat it back to you we're going to sound like a couple of guys on a podcast but that comes from me as you know having looked at this comes from me high cheek sent me high and this is you know this is robust data you know this is hundreds of thousands of pieces of data that just um shows that yeah you know and and the the the, the incredible learning i think from that is that you know and i'm i'm stealing from me, uh, Mihai Cheek sent me High here, and I think that's—I hope—that comes out clearly in the book. That's all evidence-based, you know. Um, you know, everything that's in the book, uh, apart from one little theory about transformation, is based on robust data conducted by people at, well, actually, you know, at Brigham Young University, Julia Holt Lundstad, for example, and Daniel Kahneman's work over at Princeton, etc. Um, one of the funny things that you know Mihai Cheek sent me high says is is that we. We have this fantasy of the good life. And the fantasy of the good life is, um, let's say that you own some, um, you know, movie theaters and you can go and sit and you put your feet up or, you know, it's when you're going to be on holiday and you've got, you're sitting on a sun lounger with a margarita in one hand and you're just sat there. And of course, what people nowadays do, and they kind of really make this worse, is when they sit on a sun lounger, they've got their um, smartphone with them. So yep. the poor lambs are there checking checking Facebook and telling them their friends what a great time they're having, and then what they're doing is taking selfies to make sure everyone knows what a great time they're having. Yeah, and, and actually, that, that kills the whole point point of it. And what um, his work shows is that doing something that's really hard and challenging and kind of pushing it—something that's um, you know pushes our, our own personal envelope—is um, is a much better way to achieve happiness. You're much more likely to be happy by doing something that's hard and challenging that puts you into this, you know, into flow in in the present, as Eckhart Tolle would say, or in the zone, as an athlete would say. Um, And for me, that's one of the ideas from the book that's just kind of really liberating. It makes you think, okay, so when I take my vacation, I'm not just going to sit there by the pool. I'm not just going to sit on the beach. I'm going to, okay, I'll do a little bit of that because we all need to rest, you know, we need to manage our energy but I'm going to do that once I've earned it. I'm going to do that when I'm, you know, I've gone out there and got hold of life and grabbed it by its horns and done something. You know, I I go, um, I go, um, bouldering indoor climbing. I live in London, so we don't have mountains here. Um, Sometimes I get to go, but generally there's there's a place near me I go, you know, climb bouldering. And the magic is I can be three feet up off the floor and I'm scared because I'm going to fall and I'm trying to figure out how to get up. So my mind is involved, my body's involved, you know, it's kind of stretching my muscles. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fully focused on the task in hand. Um, You know, it's a bit like surfing or snowboarding or whatever, you know, but something that's
0: hard. No, that, that makes sense to me in this aspect of challenge and, and the challenge matching our skill and just you know like Ms. St. Mihai's research shows about inducing the flow state and really enjoying that, the gift that that is and how we can consciously create that. I think that's part of it. As I looked at this and reflected on what you wrote, I tended to think that there's a part of it as well that's about structure, that in some way we crave structure. And, and the, the research that you cite about we have more free time than ever before. That Americans on average have five hours and fourteen minutes of free time. British have five hours and forty-nine minutes of free time. But if you asked anybody what like it wouldn't feel that way. Like this paradox of having more free time available to us, but feeling less fulfilled, feeling more stress than ever before, it's like a total mind twist. Yeah. You know, and, and so that's where then to come back to this thing about challenge, filling our time, and we enjoy it's easier to enjoy work than free time. Part of it is I've thought is structure and how challenging it can be, how much we crave structure, but how challenging it can be to create it for ourselves. Wow. I don't know if that's a part of your experience or if you came up across that kind of thing in the, in the research as well. You know, it's really interesting. I,
1: you know, since the book's come out, I've had quite a lot of pretty interesting conversations with people. And I was with, um, uh, it's called the Nudge Unit. It was known as the Nudge Unit. They're called the Behavioral Insights Team. And it was, you know, inspired by Richard Thaler's work. He's one of the advisors but It was set up post his work and advises governments around the world now as I've seen those guys the other day and now some smart questions but no one's put that point to me and I think it's really interesting Brian and what it makes me think of is if you one of the things if you think about sport is there's a really specific structure right you can't go outside the lines this is the goal you've got to get the um we we're into football over here which you would call soccer even though, of course, football—the whole thing about football. Anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs>
0: we'll let that go. But you know, and then, and then, and then, anyone listening—we've just edited fifteen minutes of conversation about football versus soccer. <laughs> a little bit of rugby in there. Discussion for cricket. Uh, yeah. I
1: think we but, can get into equality and whether the um, the women's football teams can get should, <laughs> soccer teams <should> get paid <laughs> the same as the, as the men's one, which makes sense. Hopefully, you know, because you, your guys, your women, have just won the World Cup. Um, but anyway, for the second time. Three? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is this time in a row or something? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. It's great football too. But if you imagine if you put them up against the men, and this is no disrespect to the women, but um, the game is not at the same standard at the moment. So it would make no sense in this country for it to be that. And that's, yeah, that's not disrespecting. It's just observing something that is the case. It's catching yeah. up
0: fast. And some of the yeah. I mean, some of the goals were exceptional. Anyway, let's get. Sorry, I'm, I'm a Brit, I'm a, I? love. So it. the game has it has lines, it has rules, yeah, structure. Right?
1: And I've been thinking about this, actually, about the importance of ritual in our lives. Mm, um, yeah. I think ritual is is something that provides structure. And actually, I'm toying with yeah. this for, for the next book, actually, Brian. Um, and and then think about, okay, so let's take the opposite of a game, um, you know, a sports game, is um, checking Instagram or Facebook, right? Because there's that endless... Um, uh, Jake Zer- uh, is it John Zaratsky and Jake Knapp in their book... Um, whose name I can't think of right now, um, in their book, About Time and Managing Your Time, they talk. They call them infinity pools. Mm. And I think one of the
0: reasons why... Um, let me
1: grab it, because it's interesting. interesting. I don't know if you know these guys. Do you know, do you know this book?
0: I do. I have not. I, I, I think I did see that title in your book, but I, I was not familiar with it prior. If you'd want it, I can connect you to these guys if you want to talk to them. I mean, I yeah but i would if you'd be willing to introduce me i'd be very
1: grateful yeah, yeah I'd be really happy Gra- really i mean very smart nice people and um yeah i think their term infinity pools" is really
0: lovely because yeah and i know this is what simon Sinek's talking about now and there was another book written in the 70s about infinite versus finite games oh. and the nuances between them i don't know if you've seen that but cynic has transitioned from start with y to leaders eat last to now infinite games interesting I don't yeah, know. So there's kind of this current, I think, that's flowing as well.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. But it, but it's your point exactly about structure, actually, Brian.
1: You know, um, the, the the magic of something that's. I mean, it's a bit like you know the, the finite nature of human existence, the fact that we're not immortal and we are mortal. Because the problem with immortality or immortality, whichever, um, it's slightly different. But the problem with either of those is that there's no point in getting out of bed. Because you can do it tomorrow. What's the hurry? You know, someone says to you, hey, let's go to, let's make it up. Let's say you and I were gonna meet in Uganda, okay? And we're gonna go see, uh, we're going up to Kidepo in the north at the um, South Sudanese border, which is pretty wonderful up there. But let's say we were gonna go do that, okay? And we're like, well, there's no rush. You know, I is it is good because it gives the structure. It gives the, you think about the structure of a person's life, you know, you're born, you learn stuff, you do your thing, then you get a bit older, you have children, you know, that kind of um, that structure, which is also a game, actually, from a certain yeah.
0: perspective. Yeah, I, I think so. And it's something that I've been um, I've been exploring and, and in my coaching with people, okay. especially because I think almost universally we feel this sense of time scarcity yeah and it's we often experience it as stress as anxiety as frustration or disappointment a sense and and so what i've been inviting some of my you know coaching clients to consider not to say that it's true but to consider the possibility that the purpose of time is to maximize our enjoyment of life because ultimately, if we really take responsibility for our lives, it truly responsi- responsible for what's on our calendar, where we go, what we do, where we often feel like we're at the effect. Oh, I have to. I've got to pay. And we use these excuses for not really being at the center of our lives. Hmm. And if you say instead, time as a framework, yes, it can feel very daunting. It can feel very um, kind of stultifying. There's a $5 word. But if you're the one that's going, look, I'm putting this on my calendar. And I am going to do this. And, and by default, I'm not going to do everything else. But that's another level of ownership, I think, and all the things that it brings up, which are legitimate. But the, to me, the interesting question is, are we willing to take that level of responsibility for our lives no matter what the consequences might be? Who might not approve? You know, what else we might miss out on? You know, like all this kind of thing. Yeah. So, but I didn't Yeah, I didn't mean to go <laughs> on my own theory. I'm just enjoying okay you know, this exploration so much. I
1: like what you said. You know, you think about those times in life where you've got a, a deadline for something, and you need to pull together your resources, and you have to get really organized, and you're kind of like, right, um, I'm gonna work this hard, I'm gonna work, do this in the morning, but that means I'm gonna have to get up earlier, okay, fine, some, some sport or exercise or something then, I need to see my children, otherwise I'm going to burn out because that's a stupid idea, right? I need to manage this. It needs to be ongoing. So I need to stop at a certain time because I want to spend some time with my children or, you know, my partner or my friends. And you kind of, when you organise your life like that and you have structure and you need some space for, you know, serendipity and spontaneity to happen too, I think it's a really good way to exist. And I think one of the problems, sounds going to sound silly, but because we don't know when we're going to die, okay, okay. We therefore have this kind of like, especially when you're, you know, when you're young, you have this kind of ah, it'll go on forever. There's no hurry, you know. That's why you smoke pot when you're a kid, you know, because you think you have got a lot of time, and you're like, sorry, I'm making it, but you know, you can once once you get to a certain age, there's no point in smoking pot because it just robs you of energy. You want to get on and do something with your time, right? Yeah. Um, actually, pot's legal for you guys, isn't it nowadays? So it's, in I mean, most, pl- yeah, many yeah, places yeah. here in the US, yeah. uh, it's. I mean, it's not over here, um, but we'll we'll catch up. I hope. Um, but um, having a structure that says that there's a definite end to this is, is, is you kind of take hold of it because it's that yeah. thing that you've got to get hold of, haven't you? And I yeah. think one of the thing, problems in our society is that, and this is why you know, I write, wanted to write the book, is that we, if you think about time as being this incredibly precious resource that is the, you know, the finite thing that's and it's going to come to end and you remember that it is going to be over soon, you think to yourself, hold on, it's going to be over soon. I better get a hold of this. I'm going to make this work. Yeah. Because if you're married and you don't know how long it's going to go on, but your wife's annoying you or your husband's annoying you, that's kind of annoying. But if you think, okay, we've only got 15 years anyway, well, you may as well enjoy it and get something from it because this is your only go around. I mean, you know, yeah. however your religion works, this is only your only go around in this format, you know, whatever right. next or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like, I like that. And control, if you look at Amartya Sen's work, the um, economist at Cambridge, uh, he looks at control, um, social participation and capabilities as being the three keys for human flourishing. I think it's, I think it's very connected to status, actually. But you think about that idea of control being really good for people. And when, you know, people, when they lose control of their lives and have less control of their lives, they, they kind of get upset. Whereas when you yeah. kind of, even when things are going wrong, you know, when things are going really wrong, but you write down how things are going wrong and yeah. you start to, especially if you're a coach and you coach with people, when people start to get a hold of it, however bad it is, at least you're kind of playing a game that you're
0: kind of in some kind of control of. Absolutely. and And this is one thing I wanted to ask you about as well, because you pointed, you brought something to my awareness that I thought was really lovely. The the way you succinctly articulated it and the power that it has for me and I, I think for many people. So this idea of things going wrong and the narratives we live and this idea that there's really only two narratives that every life takes. And this is, of course, a broad generalization. But this idea of the the one that's either um, a contamination story or a redemption story and the man, the story of how you got in the hole you're in or how you got out of the hole you were in Will you talk a little bit about that? Because i would never heard it said that way. And I just thought that that was really potentially transformational for people to get. How are you telling the story of the life you're living and then the effect or the quality it has on every day for you? I'm really happy that resonated for you.
1: My wife thinks that 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 first chapter should be a book on its its own. And I give talks um, and I've started to... um, skip everything in the book and really focus on that for some people, particularly for leadership, actually. I'm going to Nairobi um, in a couple of months to, to give some talks based around that that hero's journey and how we think about ourselves. Um, but what I think is really interesting that you picked up on is is that difference between the, um, the contamination story where things go wrong. And you know, we've all got those friends who can perceive things in that negative way. You know when you have a conversation with a friend and they're telling you about, um, something that happened and you find yourself saying hey but it turned out okay didn't it or oh but you learned something and there's that friend of yours who probably tends to drink i think i'm taking a random minded too much who, who there's those friends who just go oh no 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 you know who won't accept your positive t- spin on what happened yeah. Now that's a. I mean, just to explain, you know, make it clear for the listeners. You know, th- th- this is the contamination version where things start in a certain way and they get worse. And there's those people that tell those kind of negative stories, and you find yourself always trying to pick them up. And there's the other people who tell a story of saying. Well, you know what, you know, our um, our investor pulled out and things were, uh, we did not know what we were going to do. But you know what, we bootstrapped it, we made it work. Or, you know, it's the people who, um, you know, the tent fell over or, 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 you know, or the wind came in and everything went wrong and the boat fell over, but they made it through. You know, those, those people who, who, who turn whatever situation to wow it all went wrong but we learned something you know they're super positive but they could be a bit annoying, annoying too but what's yeah. really interesting i thought and this is from you know psychologists and they call it narrative psychology where they examine the stories that people tell about their lives for me what was really interesting about that is that they the people who tell the contamination story, as you would imagine, you know, when things go wrong, they tend to be much less happy. They, they don't feel like they're contributing. Of course, the importance of contribution to happiness is, is, has been shown many times. And that story of the um, redemption story, the things getting better, are much happier. So once you know that, okay, this is partly my take on it, is like, okay, so life is a choice. Lots of things are choices in life. So which of those stories do I want to be my story? Because that's a choice as well. And then you, could, I mean, you can put them together and you put them into this, this hero's journey where things go wrong. This is from Kurt Vonnegut with the, you know the man in hole and we come out the other side. What's kind of interesting for me is to see if that's the kind of story that you should tell to be happier. But well, get, I mean, get hold of your stories and tell stories in that way. And, and if you can try and perceive things, even when they go badly and go, okay, that, that really isn't working out. That wasn't, that was not good. I did the wrong thing or the wrong thing happened to me. You think, okay, so what's the learning I need to get from this, you know? And once, if you can take that positive, I mean, we're coming back to control again and structure if you can take the positive from any situation you are actually getting a hold of it and then the magic of that in terms of you know happiness there's lots of data that shows that you will be happy if you follow that but then you'll start to see yourself on this hero's journey you know this kind of person who has struggles and comes out of it. and i'm going to be straight with you i think that as an american and if you know if if most of the people that you work with are americans you guys have that hardwired. In- I mean, we all—you know—it's the story of Jesus too, right? And you know, it's the story of you know lots of um, kind of you know great stories. It's for all of us. But the story of America, where the kind of you know turned up. I mean, Thanksgiving, yeah. Here, all these people from Europe turned up, and oh, they ran out of food. But oh, oh, come these people with the turkey. Ah, oh, and you know, and then they and they make it through. That yeah. is a classic story of things got better. and um, you know most cultures have these stories but if you kind of think in that kind of like oh things went wrong things get better it gives you that kind of resilient response more resilient response to when things go wrong and what happens in all of our lives is things go wrong that is a a given And so, if things are going to go wrong and you're already thinking okay how can we put that into a positive you'll come out of it the other way much more positive
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, that was the thing that was so remarkable to see it graphed out. Like you literally put these, you know, as you know, you know, these illustrations in the book of saying you can tell the same story in either format. Yeah. Right. It doesn't depend on how it turned out. It just depends on what you choose to focus on and how you choose to talk about it. And I think if people while this can sound like a concept right now, uh, you know, my hope is that people will start to see how they can reframe you know, maybe their entire life or stories within their life, things that have happened to them and, and be happier as a result.
1: Can I can I jump in, Brian? If you want, I can, you know, provide, you know, that, that hero's journey as I've, I've drawn it out is a simplified version because some of it, it can get very complicated about the mother and the father and all this kind of like, you know, you have to ah. kill the kill the father. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, some of these stories, you know, they're mythical stories as well. But one of the things I find that hero's journey, one of the most... Possibly the most inspiring part of the book, because because what it provides for any person as they, as you know, as we go through life and we come across a certain point, we might get stuck, we might find uh, our boss annoying, we might find our partner annoying, we might find our lack of money annoying. We, you know, there's all these things, but the magic of that hero's journey is you can use it to think, okay, where am I? Where am I? Where am I around the loop at the moment? Where are things? Am I? Am I refusing? call to adventure have i heard the call that says james um you know you should go write a book or you should um you know learn to climb or you should um take the next step i, I failed at a startup a couple of years ago and i'm still I'm not looking in my woods i'm just trying to figure out so i'd have a better go next time around um you know okay so it, it, am i just saying no because i'm a bit scared in which case i should you know this is coming back to what you were saying about structure and, and control and getting should i get hold of my and go for it and take on the adventure is that where i am or if you're on the, possibly my favorite part of that is the road of trials. The road of trials are that tests and the allies and the enemies. And, and what I love about the road of trials is that it's an essential part of the hero's journey. And it's therefore the essential part of your story and my story and everybody's story. And the, the great thing is, is once you realize that in order to be a hero of any sort, you need to solve problems. So if you think about independence, Day, unless you remember the movie Independence Day, right? Sure. You've got to kill the big alien to save the humans. You know, you think about Luke Skywalker, okay? If Luke Skywalker had gone to Darth Vader and said, hey, Darth, I've got a great idea. You come to the good side. We will rule the galaxy, but we're gonna do it in a really nice way and make everybody happy. And Darth Vader had said, smart thinking, Luke. Let's do it. <laughs> it wouldn't have been a movie. It wouldn't have been right. a movie at all right luke yeah. had to like take on the first baddie and then the bigger baddie and he had to you know eventually go through that whole point and he also to do that he needed um you know tests song the way to discover who he was he needed allies because he needed han solo and chewie and the whole i hope you don't mind me going to star wars yeah. on this but and you know we won yeah 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 That's yeah probably. exactly yeah. right yeah yeah And he needed the mentor yeah so the thing is um, you know, think about the Rancor. We had to beat the Rancor when he was in um, the big slimy slug. dude. What was his name? The, um, Jabba. Jabba the Hutt. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, shame on me for not thinking and remembering. Okay, I watched it a few, uh, maybe a month ago with my daughter. Anyway, so the thing is, in order for him to be the big hero, he had to beat the big baddie and solve the big problems. And through that, we got to understand who he was. And he got to learn and grow and become. In exactly the way, Brian, for you and for me and for anybody listening, um, if we want to have the big victory and if we want to perceive ourselves as somebody worth being, as someone who's achieved something, we've got to take the shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We've yeah. got to have the enemy is important. So the, what the way I found that really inspiring was, you know, um, it meant I could reframe things that happened in the past for me. But in the present and as I go through my life now, now I've come across that idea. I know that when something gets in my way, when somebody, (laughs) you know, when somebody really annoys me, when someone says no, you know, when, you know, I, you know, I pitch things to people, you know, I've got to make money to pay the mortgage and, you know, take family on holiday and stuff. And, you know, when someone says no or somebody stops me or gets in my way (laughs) and they really annoy me, I don't need to be annoyed with them anymore. I need to thank them. Because that's my opportunity to kind of go well yeah. you said i can learn something from this you are yeah. part of my essential journey to become a bigger better stronger man you know to, yeah. to grow into who i have the potential to become um and that's just i mean i, I don't know how you find that but i find that yeah. so liberating it's like wow when bad stuff happens that's on my side that's helping yeah. me grow. Oh, it's just so kind of like it means I
0: can stop being a, a really moany Brit. <laughs> no, I I love that too, and that idea of looking at the map of the hero's journey and asking where am I on this as a useful way of figuring out what do I need to do or stop doing, and even to the point, you know, I I've been using a line from your book with people that I'm speaking with. I love about how, you know yes, we are all snowflakes. We are all unique. We all have our own version of the hero's journey, but in some way, we're all snow. Huh. You know, I thought that was such a great way. And so I do think this can be very useful, you know, if people are willing to look at it. Can I just tell you, I got that from a life coach. Oh, you did? It yeah. comes full circle. There's the yeah. circle again. Really? Yeah. And, and I got to
1: mention her name because she, she, she can be a bit oner sometimes. So she just said it to me. She's, she she's also teaches actors, uh, including, although she'll never quite say it in public, um, I can't think his name now, he was in Doctor Who. He's a very famous guy. Anyway, whatever. can't think of his name. I'm not very good with actors. But and she, her name is Eva Kolajská, And she said it to me. So I stole it from Eva. or I borrowed it. But it's right great. On. Well, and, and now you've it. acknowledged.
0: So so you're even. You're even. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. playing nicely. It's appropriate yeah. to play nicely, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Okay. So I want to turn our discussion for a moment before we go to the enlightening lightning round. The last thing that I want to ask you about that you talk about in this book is how common it is for people to pick up their smartphone while they're having sex. (laughs) What? Like I had, I mean, okay, I'm going, yeah, I think we all do. We're like, do I do that? Have I done that? Right. That kind of thing. But will you, I mean, okay, I just want to see, I want to look at this real quick because you cite some other facts before you quite drop that one. But I was like, that really freaking happens, doesn't it? Well, that research
1: conducted i think it was northwestern i can't remember but it was definitely it was, a, a university in the in the us
0: yeah i think it was virginia and then <laughs> it was it published in the economist yeah. you cite that and you talk about you know most people pick up their phone within 15 minutes of waking up in the morning yeah. average person picks up their phone 150 times a day yeah many people do 300 times a day which is about once every 3 minutes you're awake and that there's a number of people one in 10 research shows pick up their phone like check their phone while they're having sex right what i mean when you discovered that like what what did you think i mean what what's going on well my first thought was
1: i got to try this you know so i i, I you know i kind like of like any true researcher <laughs> exactly you know so there i was with mrs Woolman and uh you know I, I got to have a cup of drinks <laughs> um <laughs> Those stats, by the way, come from Adam Alter, who's at NYU um, at the Stern School of Business. And in his book, Irresistible, fantastic guy. Um would be really happy to connect you to him too. He's a real, uh, I mean, he's a great researcher. Um, and ir- Irresistible looks at, you know, the lure of our phones. Look, th- th- these devices, and, and this is from Natasha Dow Shull, who I think is at NYU now. She was at MIT. She wrote a fantastic book called... Um,
0: the design of addiction addiction of design machine gambling in las vegas by and and what's her name again natasha Dow shul okay natasha again Dalshull. i connected yep. with her she's a very smart woman she researched
1: how they made these machine gambling you know these gambling machines and they are the most addictive thing on the planet. they've been called like the you know that lazy term but you know the crack coat cocaine of, of, of gambling etc uh-huh. and um Basically, exactly the same tricks that are used in those is what's in our mobile phones. So it's, um, there's some, you heard of something called classical conditioning, you know, from Pav, Pavlov's dogs. Sure.
0: Yeah, sure, sure.
1: So, so everybody knows that one. And this one is called something called operant conditioning, which is, you know, how scientists sometimes have fancy words for things that kind of make sense. So if you have a dog and your dog um, comes to you, you give it, uh, you know, uh, something to eat, right? So that it knows that a reward and you know if you think we work like that in relationships too so you know if your partner is nice to you you buy flowers or you know you know what i mean you and you you smile and that's what our devices do and the thing is this um research shows that basically operant conditioning works on pigeons and rats and humans (laughs) so the way our devices work is you check facebook and ah this is the thing and it's called uh, intermittent variable rewards. This is like the, one of the key things about operant conditioning. Okay, so if every time you you do something, you get, um, let's think about the rats. If every time the rat presses a lever, it gets something to eat, yeah, it goes there and it gets something to eat. Fine. But if it doesn't know what it's going to get each time it presses the lever, and it doesn't, and then sometimes it, you only have to press the lever so something happens, it goes back again and again and again, not knowing. Is really exciting, which is one of the reasons why watching sports, you know, watching a soccer match, for example, watching England against um, the USA in that semi final, is so mm. exciting because right. you, you don't know how many points are going to be scored. I mean, or, or any game, you know, the Super Bowl, whatever, um, you don't know how many points are going to get scored. You don't know if your team's going to win or lose. It's one of the reasons why soccer is generally such a good game because it's low scoring games. So even the small teams beat the big teams, which is, you know, brilliant. Um, And so when you check Facebook or email or Instagram or whatever You don't know if you're gonna have a message from your mum saying uh, Hey come home this weekend. I really want to see you or a message from uh, You know that hot girl at work that you really shouldn't be talking to but you can't help it or um, You know some kind of spam or your
0: boss or someone that you don't really like contacting you, or nothing at all, or or some major calamity again, which obviously and thankfully they're very rare, but like a nine eleven did that happen in the world today, right? Mm-hmm. You never know what you're going to get I mean, the thing is about news is news is also incredibly entertaining,
1: yeah, um, I know that's a really negative thing saying it's probably inappropriate, but at the same time, you know I mean this is why Donald Trump is so great. Sorry, I love Donald Trump, Everyone thinks I'm pretty crazy for that, but He's such a crazy show, and sorry if you're a drunk fan. I don't mean this, you know, either positive or negative. He's such a crazy show. Yeah. In the, um, it's just he's he's just worth watching. <laughs> His future future historians will just wish they'd been alive when <laughs> Donald Trump was in power because <laughs> he's just so much fun. He's so crazy. Um, anyway, enough about him. Um, so I was that? So, okay, this intermittent bear rewards. It's exactly as you yeah. said, you know if it's going to be the news or it's good news or bad news or whatever. And so the thing is, we keep checking and we keep checking. And we, you check this before you go to bed, just in case something interesting has come in. You check when you wake up in the morning. And just to throw in and this thing about how we check our phones first thing in the morning. Um, and actually, anybody listening, if you take out nothing from this and you, you've listened this far and you take out one thing, because most people charge their phones in their bedrooms. Don't charge your phone in the bedroom. You will sleep better. And there's some research that suggests that you'll have more
0: sex. Just by charging your phone outside the bedroom.
1: Because you're not, because it's not there. And the thing is, if you've got yours in there and your partner's got theirs in there, you've got that device that your, you know, your parents, your boss, your co-workers, your children, everybody can contact you. So you're bringing maybe echoes, but they can contact you. Yeah. Um, you know, I have my notifications turned off. My phone is always on silence so that I choose when I, you know, want to talk to people, you know, yeah. kind of manage that time. And, you know, our time is precious. Our time is short. We need to, I need to get work done so that when it comes to, I'm a real believer in Saturday and Sunday should not be work days. This kind of blurring of work and leisure. I think is one of the problems that we have today. The fact, You know, work used to be a place we went to and you would work, months, you, you know, I, I love work. I love working hard. It's fun, it's hard, it's meaningful. But put it down so that you can spend real quality time with you. You, you know, I often go out without my telephone, which kind of freaks people out. So I phoned you, well, why don't you answer me. I'm like, well, we said we'd meet. And what I did was that place we said
0: we were going to meet, I went there, look, here I am.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah 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 like people text you i'm here you're like yeah i know i hate the text i'm here
1: yeah
0: it's crazy yeah. is then when they phone you and say where are you I'm
1: like
0: use your eyes yeah serious yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i love that and by the way i just want to call out to to people to you know people listening this idea as well yeah. that again is a paradox for for many of us or maybe counterintuitive is that we think you know working harder working more is is the answer, and I often quote this Reed Hoffman thing about hard work is never enough, and more work is never the real answer,
1: yeah.
0: right? So this idea that we're seeing in James's life here, where you've published two books, uh, really good books that people enjoy, are making a difference. They're on bestseller lists. You're being invited to speak around the world. You're you're consulting, you know, for the world's biggest companies, and you've written for more than fifty major publications, and that. While every life is its own life and we all get to find our own styles and preferences, they hear you're saying, look, I'm, I'm taking weekends off, you know, more often than not. And you're still achieving at a very high level where I think a lot of people listening are giving up sleep or they're, you know, they're letting their phone interrupt them. Their boss call them anytime where you don't have to live that way. If even if you want to achieve at a high level, they're not mutually exclusive.
1: Yeah, I just want to throw in there that when, when I hear that list, I'm like, wow, that's, that 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 guy
0: sounds good. <laughs>
1: but, but, um, but you know, I guess you know, I, lots of us have the imposter syndrome. Maybe that's a British thing too much, but you know, that kind of like, Well, and I, I, I mean, it's true um, that, that that those things you said about me, you know, and what I've achieved. But I think it's about, success is a choice, and I, you know, if, I don't know if you read The New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. I think it's sure. It confused the hell out of me when I first read it. I was like, what is this guy saying? But there's stuff that he says in there about success is nothing other than a enjoyable present moment. And that stuff about being – actually, it might have been put cleverer than that. But, um, you know, the present moment being the only thing that exists is really important. I, I personally also think we should think about the remembering self, the anticipating self. I think mean, there's lots to be said for this stuff. But um, – you know, six. Yeah, and that. What you said about that working on it—that thing is—is is, is if you what you do is really work hard. And you, you know, in the US, you have a very work-hard culture. Um, you know, it comes from I think it's the Protestant thing from the, from the nineteenth century in particular. Um, you work and work and work and work. Yeah, you, can, you might enjoy work, but why are you missing out on? You know, think about your time. There are, there, are, there are, you know, in Utah, think about, you know, the trails you can go walking on or running on or skiing on or, you know, um, hanging out with people that you love. I mean, that, that, that's the Daniel Kahneman quote in the book, right? That um, happiness is, um, it's only a slight exaggeration to say that happiness is um, spending time with people you love and who love you. And that's like, yeah. okay, so I should do more of that. And it's, you know, once you know that, you're like, okay, but I should also, I should enjoy my work. I should find stuff that's hard. I should do stuff that's hard in my free time. I should spend time with people. And then you that's one of the reasons why the checklist in the book, and if you, you know, this stories thing, was that you can't do all of it all the time. You know, I'll be honest with you, I'm going on vacation in the summer, and we're going to be on a beach with my children. And I won't be living a full power hero's journey of kind of like doing something, you know, incredibly hard. I'll be I will be on the beach with my children playing on a, the blow-up pink flamingo that we have and the lilo. Um, and, you know, messing around with my kids. But I'll be ticking the box about hanging out and making really important relationships. You know, yeah. you know, there are times when I want to be inside and watch a movie. I'm a big fan of the U.S. office. I've just got to the point where, um, you know, Michael, the boss, has left. I'm on season nine, I think now. And I love the U.S. office so much. It's it's my, like, guilty pleasure. I don't watch TV. <laughs> I find TV really annoying. I mean, there's loads of data that says you watch too much TV. You will erode your happiness. Sure as, you know, getting sandpaper and scrubbing it down on something. Um, but I'll give myself a window to watch a bit of the U.S. office, you know. Anyway, so, you know, we can't take all the – you know, it's like gratitude. I remember talking to um, Tom Gilovich at Cornell University who was one of the drivers – In fact, if not the guy who's really uh, done the research, one of the people that's driven the fact that we now know that material goods are not as good as experience for making us happy. When I was talking to Tom about my book, um, he liked the checklist because we talked about this idea of gratitude. We all know that gratitude makes us feel happier. But sometimes, you know what? who feels grateful? I don't know. You know, I, yeah. I wish I was that perfect human being. who woke yeah. up every day and was like, ah, look at the, you know, the climbing frame in the garden. Aren't we lucky to have that? And isn't this nice that I've got this, you know, this terraced house in London, which is nice. But sometimes I'm like, I wish I had a bigger house. <laughs> you you <know>? sure? <laughs> I wish that wasn't working so hard. I wish the money was flowing a bit easier. Yeah. So so you're feels, human.
0: You know, and if you don't feel grateful, okay, so what other box can you tick to get yeah. something out of your time? No, no that's, that, that resonates for sure. Well, let me, let me turn our discussion now to – oh, I just, I just want to get this in here too because you pointed this – I love – you just call attention to things and articulate them in a way that I find very um, valuable. And this one that you touched on earlier but didn't present this way of – in the history of humanity, we've reimagined, reinterpreted success, right, mm-hmm. from survival for millions of years perhaps – it was survival was success, yeah. then materialism yeah. for 150 years or so. And then we realized, well, that that was not not fulfilling. OK, so now we're in this era of happiness mm. is success. So mm. we've taken these steps. And I just thought that was actually a really brilliant kind of call out. I wanted to get that in the recording. So thank you for for pointing well, that out. Thank you. Can I just uh,
1: thank thank you.
0: Um,
1: I want to f- flag up that it's not that the message isn't anti money. Um, I get caught in this conversation with my wife sometimes because, you know what, money is in, in the enabler. You know, it, right. it means that you can go to, uh, I went to a great Mexican place in um, Salt Lake City when I was there last time. And, you know, we had to pay for dinner. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and the waiter was this amazing guy with all these tattoos. He was really fun. But we wouldn't have had that fun experience in my buddies from Utah if we hadn't been able to afford dinner. You know, these things are yeah. important. Um, yeah, totally, it's, also, it's that trifecta of um, happiness, resilience, and success. Those three things feel to me so, you know, together. You need to be resilient because things will go wrong. You need happiness, and yeah. success is both a financial thing, but I think it kind of wraps up this idea anyway. But I'm just whatever. Yeah. But thank you. Yeah, yeah I think no, thank, lucky, thank you. Lucky us that success is more
0: than just survival. Happiness yeah. is a luxury good, right? Absolutely, and and I happen to think in Maslow. Uh, as you know later revised his pyramid from self-actualization being at the top to transcendence huh. and you know with joseph pine in his book the experience economy where he talks about commodities you know goods services and then transformation yeah. and this idea and i think we're moving there that even we'll find happiness and even experiences are not inherently fulfilling any more than goods or materialism was but what we're really seeking is a sense of oneness Right. Like a, a communion with the divine or with all things, I think, wow, really you know, but but maybe that's easier for me to explore because I'm fortunate to be born in a family where I don't have to work for a living. And I get to or have to, depending on how you frame it, think about these kinds of existential questions while it's a bit of a mind twist while there's nearly two billion people on the planet without access to clean water, or sanitation. And here I am going, why am I here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right.
1: Look, you know, I think we've all got our, our our challenge. We've got our challenges, you know, because um, you think about that stuff from Me High Cheek Sent Me High. You know, free time being, you, you've got to have a challenge. One of the problems with being born in a situation where you're wealthy is we've well, got to find it. You've got to get off. You've got to go find that challenge. So it doesn't matter what it is, because that if you don't have that, you know, you're going you're to get stuck, right? Interesting, you yeah. mentioned Opine and his work because. Um, I'm in contact with Joe fairly regularly, actually. I have just got mm-hmm. taken a job at the, um, uh, for the British government, advising on the experience economy. Wow. Um, which I'm, yeah, I try and bring that into every conversation. I'm so proud. I'm so happy about it. It's really cool. <laughs> I'm yeah. a sector specialist, experience economy, which is really cool. Um, and, you know, Joe was, you know, the first person to really identify the experience economy, um, obviously with that, you know, with those articles in the book. Um and that idea that we'll move from experiences to transformations to me is really interesting. Um I also I, I think, you know, you see the T of stories is about transformation. But not every experience is gonna be transformative, but it still still we've Take um guy I went to Six Flags years ago. I don't know if you still have six still flag, six flags, six still going. I, I think they're still around, yeah. I, I went to a Six Flags in LA when my brother moved there quite a few years ago. And um Roller coasters are not transformative, but they are fun. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're fun. So I think there's, there's, a, there's a place for non-transformative things. Sure. But there is yeah. also, you know, if you think about that hero's journey, you think about the more meaningful experiences. Well, transformations at the heart of those, you know, and really just yeah. what you said about that whole oneness, definitely about connecting with others and connecting with other things
0: feels more meaningful. Whether we're aware of it or not, I think that's it. What we're all mm. ultimately searching for is, you know, as some have called, the numinous. Yeah,
1: I've heard that. Have you read this new Michael Pollan book? The, um, yeah, How to the Change Your Mind? Yeah, um, amazing. Super interesting, and it's inspired me to, you know, uh, play, a little, play a little in that area recently, and I, that's,
0: I find that kind of very interesting. Yeah. Yeah very much i don't know if we're gonna go there (laughs) (laughs) well Uh, in in the interest i would love to and maybe we'll do a part two maybe and maybe with your next book or maybe we could actually go back and do stuff occasion or something but so maybe um but let me let me turn our conversation now to the enlightening lightning round are you ready i'm ready so you want to be quick with these answers correct well you don't need to be quick but i'm going to i'm going to say the question and for the most part i'll then be quiet like the other term you use in the book. I love that. The coup de foudre. You probably <laughs> said that more Spanish than French, but okay. Please complete the following sentence with something other than a box of chocolates. Life is like a.
1: Who can beat Forrest Gump? Uh, life is like a. But I use that phrase. I use in stuff I write. Okay, sorry, you want an answer? Life that, that's fine. Is like a. Um... An opportunity to do something that's fun, okay, and meaningful. Sorry, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I think it is like a box of chocolates. I think we're, re- you know, it, it's about choice. It's about you might have the strawberry flavored one and be like, "Oh God, that's awful!" But that's part <laughs> the journey to find the the, the chocolates that you like. Um, you know, I quote that genuinely
0: alongside Ferris Bueller. You know the wisdom of Ferris Bueller. Oh. It's or rife pretty, with wisdom. I mean, life what, what's the Ferris Bueller? Awesome. He'll keep calling. What's the one oh, you say? Pure, pure. No, but the um, life moves pretty fast.
1: You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Yeah. Those Hollywood writers are good. I mean, that's why the Gladiator good. is yeah. such an incredible movie. And in that, you know, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Where that yeah. guy, David Franzoni, you know, took Marcus Aurelius' words and made them better. You know, there are some good writers in the world and yeah, I'll happily
0: steal their good stuff. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Next question. What's something at which you wish you were better? Climbing. Next question. Answering questions like this. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing great. You're doing great. If you were required every day for the rest of your life to wear a t-shirt with a slogan on it or a phrase or a saying or a quote or a quip, what would the shirt say?
1: I'm thinking of the fairest beauty thing, but on, my, on the day my granddad died, I'm trying to think of what he wrote to me in the note. And the thing is, I think I've thrown the note away now because of suffocation. I mean, you know, my granddad existed. It does not, I don't know, what did he say? He said, uh, here's a five, it was a five pound. He said, go and buy yourself something nice. That was it. Um,
0: memories live longer than dreams. Wow. Okay. Next question. What book other than one of your own have you gifted or recommended most often? The I think it's called the Cloud Spotter's Guide.
1: I saw you're part of the Cloud Appreciation yeah, exactly. Society yeah Yeah, Cloud Appreciation Society. Yeah, Gavin. That's awesome. Binney, sir. And the thing about um, the, the, this cloud guide is that you give the gift of looking up and you give the gift of kind of like, oh, look at that. Oh, that's that. Okay, fine. And, and clouds, they're always changing, especially in the UK. But, you know, when you cross the Atlantic, I don't know if you've ever seen those Virga clouds, ones that are like falling away. I yeah. think them when I crossed the Atlantic um, and they're beautiful and let, let's bring this back to the book here slightly or and this is I say bring it back to bring it back to what psychologists discovered makes us happy or which is actually coming back to your idea of you know transcendence and getting outside of ourselves and realizing there's something more than just us uh, is really good for our happiness and our well-being so if you mm. You know, if you encourage people to look at clouds, because the thing is, you know, we all sit on planes sometimes. We all sit
0: on our own sometimes. And if you look up, you'll be happy. Yeah, that's beautiful. Tell, will you please tell me the name of the book again? Yeah, can, 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 let me let me find the. <laughs> <laughs> the Cloud Spotters Guide. Yeah, the Cloud Spotters Guide. Yeah, the Cloud Spotters Guide. I think it's, it, let me just uh, let me just double By check. By Gavin Pretor-Pinney. P- yeah, hold on. Originally turned down by 28 publishers, Gavin Pretor-Pinney's The Cloud Spotter's Guide has gone on to be an international bestseller and has been translated into 20 languages. In addition to serving as a guide to cloud types and how they form, this book explores how the clouds above our heads have played the backdrop up uh, to no, the entirety no, 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 of human no. existence. Because it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, but that's the book, right?
1: <laughs> no, it's not boring. Right. It's that if you get the Cloud Collector's Handbook, you don't uh-huh. have to read all that stuff about clouds. You can just look at clouds. <laughs> The Cloud Collector's Handbook. I love yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just haven't read the other one. I'm sure it's lovely, but like, who, I don't want
0: to read that much about clouds. <laughs> no, well, thank you. <laughs> I like looking okay. up at the sky. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, so the next question. So you travel a ton, even more than most of my guests. What's one travel hack, meaning something you do or something you take with you when you travel to make your travel less painful or more enjoyable?
1: Okay. Um probably a book that made me sound i mean i like to take i you know i have different spi- elements of reading but i find that especially if i'm working if i've got a novel to read i prefer fiction to really relax although have you read david simon's homicide no Ooh, it's, uh, it's incredible um i'm kind of rereading it at the moment uh i, I think probably a, i mean i take an eye mask you know i Um, I travel first class. You probably do it a lot, Brian. Uh, I travel first class once in my life, okay? And they gave me this really nice eye mask. And um, what is it with hotel rooms? There's always, you know, some kind, even when all the lights are off, there will be like a flashing light on the TV or flashing light on one of those stupid alarm clocks they have in there or something.
0: I'm like, I don't want, I like dark. Sorry, is that helpful? No, that's (laughs) helpful. My wife and I. Right. Yeah uh, by the way, so my wife and I actually started traveling with a roll of electrical tape, just the black electrical tape, wow. to put over the television light, and we just, you know, wow. so well, in okay. addition to an IMA, I mean, an eye mask solves yeah. all that, but that's yep. one thing that's been helpful, so that's <laughs> <laughs> fun.: like Okay, it. thanks for that. OK. What's one thing you've started or stopped doing in order to live or age well? Um, you know, the stuff in the book.
1: Actually, you know, I've, I've made a point, uh, you know, that Harvard study from 1939 makes the point, you know, basically the, the flip side to Julia Holt Lundstad, Lundstad at BYU's research says so loneliness is a killer. The people that live the longest, you know, the clearest indicators are people with relationships. Yeah. Um, good relationships mean you'll live longer, happier, healthier life. And it has made me um, reconnect with some friends, and when I'm too busy, because I've got two young children, my wife um, is studying to be an actress at the moment. So, you know, there's only one person bringing in money for the four of us. Um, I don't have a lot of time. Um, yes. You know, I put a lot, to, also I put a lot of value in spending time with my children. Uh, so I'm not, I don't have a lot of spare time to spend with friends. And there was a long period where I was like, I don't really have friends. Here. I don't have the time for it. And I don't nearly have nearly as many friends as I used to have. But I really, it gives me an excuse because I know it's going to be good for my well-being to say, yeah, okay, I will go see that friend. And, and I really like one-on-one time. I, I, I really, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to know some people who are really good, funny, silly, idiot people. And there is, you know, who put up with me. So I, I've made a point since I wrote the book of making a bigger point of seeing people that matter to me. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That's great. Okay. And we don't have TV and I'm going to throw in this in as well. We don't have normal TV. Our TV is not connected to normal TV. It's, you know, it's IP. So we do have Netflix, we do have Amazon. Um, but that, and I just watched the U S office. I mentioned that, right? So when yeah. someone says to me, you've got to see this program, I you look at it. It. I just wait a minute and go, thanks. No, I won't be watching that program. Because d- the problem is, if I enjoy it, House of Cards, I watched five minutes, I was blown away. And I had to just watch it like a maniac.
0: So I yeah. don't even let these things get near to me. Wow. <laughs> that, that's great. Okay, just a few more questions in the lightning round, and then I know we're at time. Um, if we, if we finish these four, four more questions and then one or two questions about the creative process, are you okay You're with that? Fine.
1: You're fine. I'm I'm enjoying Your questions are great and I'm really enjoying connecting with you. And yeah, yeah, okay. it's, I'm fine.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So next question, what's one thing you wish every American knew? This story's checklist, how to spend your time. I, I, you know, um,
1: people now know that experience are better than material goods. But once you know this stuff in the stories, check this, especially that hero's journey, makes you happier. Makes you get more out of your, the, the short time you have on the planet. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, I'm working on getting more people to know about it. And you, Brian, you're helping me do that. So
0: thanks. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Okay. What's the most important relationship advice you've ever heard and successfully applied? Um... I'm still trying to figure out how
1: marriage works. And I mean that in a, you know, we've gone through some tough times, but we're really together and she's lovely, my wife. Um, but you know, she's also annoying and so am I. And um, trying to figure out how marriage I can't quite figure out the ones that work and the ones that don't work. I can't tr- keep trying to, because I look at different people that I know that have spit up or stayed together and there doesn't seem to be. I wish there was a really easy formula. And I think the hero's journey, and it feels like I'm just kind of coming back to, you know, flog the ideas in my book. But the magic of the hero's journey means that when my wife and I have gone through some tough times and me giving up my job, which was, you know, reasonably well paid to write my book destroyed us financially because suffocation was self-published at first, right? Nobody would take the book. So I self-published and then it got some coverage places like fast company and the financial times. And then it got picked up by penguin and you know, lucky me it took off. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's been a journey, but shifting my perspective from, somebody stopping me doing from what I want to do to understanding the road of trials. And that, yeah. that means I need tests and allies and enemies for me to grow as a person and develop. Yeah, it's so liberating. Even recently something happened and I was, I was pretty annoyed. And I was like, why are they doing that? And as soon as you do that, you lose control. Yeah. But as soon as you say they're doing that, what can I learn here? Yeah. I mean, it took me a couple of days of being really annoyed to get around to my head. You know, if only I was <laughs> but, there. But you did.
0: Yeah. yeah. But you got so there.
1: It, it it makes life easier. So when something gets to me, like when my my, wife, when my perception of my wife has been that she is in my way and she is trying to stop me and she's my enemy, when I realize that's part of my hero's journey, boom, life feels a bit better.
0: That's beautiful. Just by the way, may I offer you one thing about the relationship thing? Yeah. You might have seen his work already. It's very well known. But John Gottman, are you familiar with this guy's work? I know the name. Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. He's got – anyway, I think you would like his work. It might be useful in your professional life but also your personal life. Like the guy's thinking and research has totally changed the quality of my marriage.
1: Whoa.
0: It's profound. Nice. Yeah, so John Gottman, it's two Ts, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. And, um, one of his books is the seven principles for making marriage work. And I think it, in a way it just breaks it down and simplifies it to the point that you're like, no, it can't be that easy. (laughs) But I think, I think it actually is not that it's easy. It's it's never easy. I'm saying
1: yes, darling.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for letting me interject that there. Um, okay. Last question of the enlightening lightning round, aside from compound interest, What's the most important or useful thing you've ever learned about money, or something you do or don't do with it? Oh, bloody compound interest!
1: I wish I could operate it, but I do get it. I get the idea. What's the, the um? Smallest i learned about money: have some. Yeah. <laughs> and that sounds really silly, but you know, I never cared about money, and the, and the problem was was that uh, you know I grew up and we had enough. Um, we didn't have lots always, but I mean, uh, you know, at one point my dad completely, his company fell apart and he had zero, he had nothing, you know, he went to the, what we call the dole office, but we, you know, he was unemployment benefit. He would drive there in this Porsche he had at the time, but he, you know, he was like, he had worked for like 40, 45 years and always paid his, you know, taxes. So, uh, you know, so he was like, well, I'm out of work. I can take my unemployment benefit. I'm going to do this. And he was, I mean, he was, you know, I, I made that. He was on his knees. We were as a family, we were on our knees for a period, but I was kept safe from that, I think. But I left university and didn't care about money. And I had this friend, I saw a friend recently, and she said, Oh, James, so good to see you. She was a bit drunk. She said, Oh, she introduced me. She said, This is James. He doesn't care about money. He's oh, love lovely James. And I said, No, that was till I wanted to have children. Wow. You know, once. You know, I turned to my wife quite a few years ago and said to her, "Let's have kids." and she said, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she literally laughed at me and said, "You don't earn any money. that's not going to work." And I love being a dad. I love my children. And The thing is if you want to have children, you need some money."
0: Yeah.
1: And um, if I'd known that a bit earlier in my journey, I might have made some different decisions that had led, led, you know that had led to having some more money, yeah. <laughs> Children require money. Got it? Well, <laughs> okay. it's, just, no, like, it's a life requires too easy. Yeah. Oh, I don't care about money. Well, happy days yeah. for you. If you don't care about money, it's, if you've got, if you've got enough, you don't need to worry about it, but you yeah. do need to have that. And there's life yeah. living a lucky time of having a lifestyle. You know, it's, as you said, it's not yeah. just uh, staying alive. We want a bit more than that, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Okay. So, this isn't quite at the end. I want to put this here, not try to just squeeze it in the end. If people want to learn more from you or connect with you, what would you have them do? This is going to sound
1: horrible. I'm just trying to sell my book, but that time and how to spend it. And I think in the U S because it's not been published there yet, you're better off to get on Kindle. Um, but I've been told it's like, you know, sitting across from me, hearing from me, the other thing, I I guess, listening to this and you can decide if, I've talked too much and you don't want to hear it from me ever again. That would be also fine. Um, you go to the website, time and uh, Which I don't up, update that often. Uh, follow me on Twitter and I'll post stuff about stuff that interests. I don't know.
0: What, is that Instagram?
1: A, you have an yeah. Instagram account too. Uh, oh, I do. I don't post much on that, but I'm just James Warman there and on Twitter. Um, I mean, you know, I, you know, to be frank, I would come off both. I'd come off all that stuff, but I just feel I ought to do it because of the book. Um, Because the problem with Twitter is you have to try and sound interesting. And the problem with Instagram is you've got to go, wow, look, I can take great pictures. And aren't aren't I having an interesting life? And that's kind of annoying because I I have a pleasant life and that, but I don't, you know, I I mean, anyway, yeah. Um, I think the book is probably the best way, or, or, or depending on how wealthy they are. Get me to come on over and give a keynote talk for your company or something. Yeah, I'd love to. And I, you
0: know, I'm, yeah, we we'll go climbing. Awesome. So, sounds good. Okay. And I also will say this here is that as a way of expressing my gratitude to you for making the time and sharing of your experience and your wisdom, um, I've gone on Kiva.org and I've made a hundred dollar micro loan on your behalf to uh, a female entrepreneur in Thailand named Mito. Who will use this money to help buy organic hens and organic feed so she can improve the quality of her own life, her family's life, people in her community? So just wanna say thank you that oh, way. Thank you. That's nice. Cup and cup. Oh, hey, I just a, a, a thought
1: um, is I'm doing some work with something called the TTC, the Transformational Travel Council, and with a firm called, I think it's Explorer X or something, and I am gonna be running a, like a 10 day uh, vacation. In Utah, I think next wow. spring, and I'm also talking to a travel company called Intrepid, who are kind of global, Australia-based but around the world. And I'm going to be doing something with them as well. That's going to be in Morocco. Um, those could be things, but they're they're they're, yeah.
0: they're in the they're being worked out at the moment. Yeah, amazing. Well, if it's if it's worthwhile to you to share the details of those with me, I would be glad to share them with okay. you know people on my list and in my community. and, and if space allows, I'm. Yeah. I might even come sounds All right. awesome All right. sounds awesome,
1: yeah, yeah, that would be fun,
0: yeah, that's great, okay, so really the I know we're we're a little longer than than I'd intended and and I do want to go ahead and wrap up soon, but seeing as how we're here together, I just want I want to invite you to share something with people listening who as I said at the outset, are they, they want to do what you're doing. They want to take their ideas. They want to organize them, put them between two covers, share them with others in ways that make a difference and that is not yeah. draining but is, in fact, enjoyable and energizing. So I don't know exactly what my question is except for maybe what – I guess what advice – I'm not big on advice, but what What would you say to somebody who's who's on this journey but hasn't arrived yet? As a basic starting
1: point, understanding the structure of story. So, if, if someone wants wants to be an author, do you mean like a nonfiction yeah. or a writer of some sort?
0: Yeah, fiction, yeah. nonfiction. They they want to write. They want people to read it. All right. So and the they first, want to enjoy the process. Thing, yeah, I mean, the, the, the first thing is
1: to realize that you're not going to make any money, and I don't mean that negatively, but you've got to do it because you love it. Because seeing it as a as a route to money is it's. Most people don't make it. And I don't mean this negatively at all, because everybody told me it wouldn't work for me. And, yeah, fine. But that doesn't stop people opening restaurants, you know. Um, But, you know, to obviously enjoy it. I think that's really to enjoy. I I believe this for anything. You know, my wife's becoming an actress at the moment. And um, what she has to do, I think, is not think she's going to end up necessarily in a big Hollywood feature film. Again, not negatively. That may well happen for her. But enjoying the process, you know, the journey. That's you enjoy that, boom, that's happiness anyway. You're doing the right thing. Um, On Writing by Stephen King is gold. Love that book. Super book. Really easy to get through. You know, phrases like, you've just got to turn up and, you know... uh, so that you should be where the muse will find you rather than think it's just going to come to you. And sometimes it feels like you're shoving shit from a sitting position, you know, that kind of... That's, and, and then the two phases, writing with the door closed and the door open, I think it's just pure gold. I love that, whether you're writing, you know, fiction or non-fiction. Kurt Vonnegut's Shape of Stories, I think, is great, which, of course, I've used in Chapter One of, of you know, the book about story. I wouldn't bother with Robert McKee's story book. I would, yeah, that's Kurt Vonnegut. And I would say, if you're doing non-fiction, there's this book called, by Anne Lamott called Bird by Bird, Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and an American recommended it to me. I'll be honest. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's a little bit too packed. It's a bit. I It's too good. It's just a bit. I don't know what it is about it. That kind of just kind of. It's it's nice. I didn't find it that funny, but maybe that's because I'm a Brit. I don't know. But the ones I loved for nonfiction, and I read these in the hope that I could um, become a decent uh, writer. And I'll say it out in case you can't see this: is one is called um, "Telling True Stories," which is by uh, or edited by Mark Cramer and Wendy Corn. It's from, it's a nonfiction writer's guide from the Neiman Foundation at Harvard, and it's got like Gator Lee in it, who wrote um, what's supposed to be the best. Um, New journalism article of all time called Frank Sinatra Has a Cold. You can find it online on Esquire, and it's a beautiful piece of work. But it's also got Malcolm Gladwell, of course, um, and other great, and Tom Wolfe, you know, awesome yeah. nonfiction writers. Um, but it's, as you can see, I've got a whole, I don't know if you can see those, you know, notes. Wow. It's fantastic. And then the new, new journalism, um, which is by, it says, Conversation with America's Best Non-Fi- Nonfiction Writers on Their Craft. And that's got, um, it's got Michael Lewis in, um, who is the greatest. Uh, him and Gladwell, and David Simon. His nonfiction is amazing. Um, I found those really powerful for giving me some great direction in terms of how to go about putting together a nonfiction book. Um, I'm lucky, and I come from a sort of literature background, in that my first degree was classics, so I studied Aristotle um, and you know Homer and stuff. Um, but those those things that I found those really useful about, you know, finding a writer that you re- really respect, breaking their code, understanding how they went about it. Um, and then playing with those ideas. And then of course, and I think it's Michael Lewis who says this in the new, new journalism and then throw that all away because you write like you, I write like me, as soon as we try and be someone, you know, you, you can't make the noises on a page that Tom Wolfe does. You can't, and you shouldn't want to, you should make your noises, you know, that,
0: yeah. Yeah. That, that's beautiful. And I suspect someone listening is can, they're getting this, but I just want to call it out is, you know, there's a tremendous amount of craft here and, and diligence and commitment. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not like you just had a whim one day, like, oh, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Like you have actually made a commitment, you've made an investment and and whatever motivated that, passion or you know, whatever. Yeah, inspiration. Anything. Desperation. <laughs> desperation. Inspiration. Desperation. It's fine line sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah, that, uh,
0: but that but that you've done that and and that you, you know, there there somebody once said there are no shortcuts. Mm. You know, as much as I love to think that spontaneous right action, this effortless this non doing You know, I, I, how much has that been a principle that you've, that you've seen and how much really is the, you know, 1% inspiration and 99 perspiration?
1: This is why flow is so important. And if you look at, um, what's the woman's name who's done that book about grit. Angela Uh, Duckworth. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've got a real issue with that book and her message, um, because, and she deals with flow at one point in it um interestingly but i think flow is the way not grit grit is it strikes me it's kind of like you know some of the interviews about you know where these people that became great swimmers or something say did you enjoy your practice and like no it was really hard uh, okay well if it's i mean don't do that and if you look at the rise of superman do you know stephen kotler's work on yeah. flow, amazing yeah. right and the rise of superman he absolutely nails what flow is about um but i think you need to have a sense of this thing that you're going towards because i've definitely made sacrifices and not in a bad way but you know you make your choices i wanted to I, you know i want to get good at climbing at the moment and so i don't do other sports i've got this friend who does lots of different things i'm like well i you know i have a window i have sort of probably three windows a week to go do some sport and that works for me that's you know that's okay for me um i want to do that's the sport i want to do um you know with writing you know there were there were times when i would work weekends. there isn't you know for kids um you know i'd work weekends or i would you know uh i gave up pop <laughs> to be honest with you <laughs> years ago you know friends would be there and they'd be doing their thing i'd be like now i got to do i got to do this stuff and that's it's so kind of driving, yeah. It's finding something you think I want to do this thing, and, and the way that I discovered that the writing, you know, I, and the journalism was, I went to, to night school. And if you're prepared to put your own time into something, if you're prepared to do something for free, then you should try, and you can make some money from it too. That's one of the challenges, right? You know, you need you know you need that to work too. Um, yeah, I, I, but the, the non doing, I find writing hard. I'm writing something at the moment for the
0: for this idea firm, and. I find it hard but i also enjoy that so that's okay yeah. yeah 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 that's that's great that totally resonates i have this theory that writing never really gets easier as a practice we get better no. but the act of putting your butt in the chair and, and doing the work well you learn the tricks that
1: enable you to get to more to enjoy it kind of thing i mean definitely my second book was I, I, you know, once you've really lost it, and I, I remember my first book getting to a point after a sort of night, I used to do like double dates. So I needed to get it done in super quick time. Um, my wife and child went to stay with, um, just had one child at a time, went to stay with her mother. And I would get up at like four in the morning and work through till lunchtime and then stop, eat, have a, have a sleep and then get, get up again and work again so I could get like 14 hour days in, which is not the best way to do it. But I got like nine days in and said this moment, where I just couldn't do anything. And it was—I mm. was deeply scared that I'd lost it, that I'd hit writer's block, and that was it. And it right. took me about three days, um, and eating a lot of like pizza on the sofa, watching The Office, and then drinking booze to kind of break that. But once I would broken it, I was like, "Oh, I can do this." Yeah. And I, you know, now if I get to the point where I just got, you know, my tank is empty,
0: take a break. <laughs> it's
1: not—it's not that clever. Yeah, will <laughs>
0: come back. Yeah, it's okay. That makes sense. Okay, so my last two questions. One is, time and how to spend it, did it have a soundtrack? Meaning, did you listen to music while you were writing, and if so, what was it?
1: I can't listen to music when I write. Um, Because I I used to be into hip-hop when I was a boy, and the problem is I listen to the the words. And I can't have words going through my mind whilst also, I mean, I'm into old-school hip-hop, so, you know. Yeah somebody you know big daddy Kane or something you know if, he, if he's telling me about his young gifted and black I can't be I can't be thinking about uh, words so uh, when I work in a, a public place I put Spotify on and put the kind of focus um, classical music on type stuff yeah. um, I can't even listen to beats particularly I need wow. to um, it's my hubbub and cafes can work for me but yeah sorry
0: no, that's, yeah. it's more of a curiosity for me and part of recognizing we all have our own styles and preferences. And when we find something, what I find is, you know, it works yeah. for a while, maybe, but in any way, just this experimentation that I think every creative has yeah, yeah, and sometimes inspiration from others. So, okay. So last question. So sometimes my experience is when we're involved in the creative process, there's the inner critic who can be really loud. And what I'm wondering is if you have a phrase or a mantra or a saying or something that's maybe short, snappy, that people listening could choose maybe to write on an index card or a post-it note, put it by the writing space, so that when that inner critic speaks up, they can choose your words instead. Something related to the creative process or that little, you can do it kind of thing. Is there something like that that you might offer our listeners? How about this? Don't worry. It'll all be over soon anyway. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) I like it. Don't worry. It'll all be over soon anyways. Because it's the unbearable likeness of being. Actually, the incredible liberating
1: aspect of the fact that with dust, we're a couple of monkeys jumping around on a tiny planet in the furthest reaches of who knows what in the galaxy. There's nothing going on here. And we've been around (laughs) for seconds. We'll be dead in seconds, too. Um, yeah. You know, you think about the Earth; it's a big place, and we're on the surface. We're just on the surface every day, and we jump up like flies in these planes to go somewhere to do nothing. Human co- human culture is this blip. You know, it's the fuss of human culture is comedy, um, and uh, although that you know, obviously your children, and my children, they matter deeply to you and to me. None of it really matters. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: Yeah. I'm so present to how that can both be how again this is kind of the framing we choose on the you know the story in the hole getting out of the hole that we can choose to take that insight and find despair about it or liberation from it. You know,
1: yeah, it's the choice because we're despairing is like there's no meaning, so why get out of bed? You know, existential act is fine, I get it, but then what are you going to do? And I think oh, this is what Nietzsche drove Nietzsche kind of crazy, isn't it, right? And, you know, he's arguably smarter than, well, certainly smarter than me. Uh, I don't want to say he's smarter than you. But, you know, um, you know the whole nihilism thing,
0: well, pff, what are you going to do? Go out with some friends. Go out with some doesn't
1: mean anything anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I have... I've really enjoyed this, and I'm, I'm really grateful to you for going longer than, than we planned and making time.
1: Thank you. Really great, Chris. It's really
0: fun. Despite living in an age where we have more comforts and conveniences than ever before, life isn't working for many people. Whether it's in the developed world, where we're dealing with depression, anxiety, addiction, divorce, jobs we hate, relationships that don't work.